the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All the evidence that God provides to get our attention won't change a heart that wants what it wants and will do anything to get it. And I've observed that over time. Because you called us as your own, you brought us to your phone. See, a decision must be made to yield my will to his. And until that happens, the mounting evidence actually only increases a person's guilt. It doesn't fix the problem. And we long for you alone. And I want to encourage you, if you're stubbornly refusing to yield to God's word today, waiting for him to somehow write it in the sky to convince you to change, you need to realize that you wouldn't even if he did write it in the sky. Yield now. Get it over with and save yourself the trouble of an even harder heart. Just to know you and be known. Obedience, it's better than your ritualistic sacrifice. Obedience, that is better than any going through the motions. God's not after that. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. God had called Moses to bring out the Israelites from their Egyptian bondage. Because of Pharaoh's hard heart, God was destroying the idols of Egypt, proving to them that Yahweh is the one true God. Pharaoh hardened his heart against the Lord over and over again. We continue to look at the signs and wonders God was doing through Moses and Aaron as we join Pastor Will in Exodus chapter 8, verse 22. And I will sever in that day, or treat specially or different, the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarm shall dwell shall be there. To the end that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. For I will put a division, a quarantine, between my people and your people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. Pharaoh had started off this whole mess by saying, who is the Lord and why should I listen to him? Well, he's getting an education, isn't he? (laughs) Jehovah isn't some made-up God in some far-off cloud land with the rest of their far-off gods in Egypt. He's the one and only God. And guess what? He's here right now. Come down to earth to deal with you, Pharaoh. God is showing that he's completely opposite of their gods, the whole Egyptian pantheon. Surely in these plagues, he's revealing his power in these signs But he's also revealing that he's a God who can be known by those he has created. You know, he manifests his love and his grace by giving Pharaoh so many chances to comply. He's declaring to him, Pharaoh, I made you too. And I want to know you, but you need to stop opposing me. Verse 24, we don't know again. We don't have a record of Pharaoh's answer. It's possible Pharaoh just ignored Moses. But you know, that could be even worse than a rejection. It says here, so the Lord did so. And there came a grievous or a heavy, thick swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh, comes there first, and then into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted or destroyed, ruined by reason of the swarm of flies. David Goodzik said, to coldly ignore God is to communicate our hatred of him as clearly as if we were to try and kill him. 
It is a terrible insult to have God in your midst and to act as if he doesn't matter. Some people think that, well, I'm just apathetic. I don't know. I don't care. I hear that people say, I'm agnostic. I always kind of chuckle at that because the word agnostic in the, in the Greek, it means an ignoramus. It's, it means I don't know. I know not is what it means. Agnostic. Not, gnosis is knowledge. A means no. means I have no knowledge. I don't know. I'm not, I don't have the information. And that's what someone's saying. I don't know and I don't care. But that's, that's almost worse. To come and actually say, well, I don't get it and I don't, I'm not going to believe in God, that's different than just saying, well, I really don't care. And so the Lord says, you can not care all you want, but that doesn't mean I don't care. And so verse 25 Well, Pharaoh's got a call for Moses again and for Aaron. And he says, oh, go you, sacrifice to your God. But what does he say? Where? In the land. Interesting. That's not what God demanded. He said, let my people go three days journey into the desert to serve me. This is an obedience. It's a compromise. One of many which Pharaoh will attempt over the course of these signs. Now, what will Moses do? Will he kind of latch on to this and say, okay, let's, let's do this at least. Let me share a, a dirty little secret of the enemy with you. If he can't get you to outright disobey God, he'll settle for compromise. He's perfectly fine with that. He's totally cool with that. Like he's not gonna, he's not gonna settle for compromise and then, and then just be all mad and upset about it. No, he'll be perfectly fine with that. It would have been very easy for Moses to say, man, Aaron, I can't believe it. He's finally cracking. Let's take this deal. We might not get a better one. But I'm so glad he didn't because it shows there could be no negotiating with God's commands. Verse 26, Moses said, it is not meat to do so. Literally, it means that won't work, Pharaoh, and you know it. This is not going to work for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians, sheep. We're going to sacrifice sheep to the Lord our God. And lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptian sheep right in front of their eyes and will they not stone us? No, we will go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God as what? As he shall command us. You don't call the shots here, Pharaoh. It's interesting. My first job, I got it and I told him, I said, listen, I need Sundays off and Wednesday nights off because Sundays we had church morning and evening and Wednesday night we had our service, our midweek service. And so this is, I was 17 years old, I think, just before I turned 18. And so my boss, oh, okay, whatever, you know, hired me. And and so they hired me under those terms. And so my first schedule came out and they scheduled me on a a Sunday night. And I came to him, I said, listen, I said, I understand I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm not trying to be a, a complaining worker or anything like that. I said, but you hired me under the condition that I said, I can't work these days. And now you're not honoring that. And you're going back on that. And he said, well, I don't really have, I don't really have hours for people that aren't on Sundays. And I said, well, that's fine. Then I guess I won't get any hours. I said to him, I said, I'm not giving up church. I said, so please change my schedule. I guess I'll, I'll find a new job. Now I was 17 years old at the time. He probably could have just kicked me to the curb and thought I'll find somebody else look just like you. And yet God honored it. He did it for two weeks. And both times I came to him when the schedule came out and I said, I can't do this. He complained about it, hemmed and hawed, and I said, no, I made this commitment. This is something that's very important to me in my life. I won't do it. Never had a problem again. And the truth is, at that point, though, I was ready to be fired. If you wanted to let me go, then let me go. That's fine. I'll get another job. I'm glad Moses didn't give in. Well, verse 28, Pharaoh's going to try another compromise. Pharaoh said to him, well, I'll let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away. What is that? Entreat for me. 
<laughs> Don't go. You can go, but not three days. One or two. One or two. And you know, that's how the enemy works. Isn't that, if you have unsafe friends, isn't that how they work? Come on, man. It's just one drink. Come, oh, come on. You know, we know you don't do any of that stuff. Come to the party anyway. It's okay. We'll, we'll keep our distance from you. And then what happens? They come up to you and they're shaking their thing. Just try it. Try it. You know you want some. It, it's always like that. There's always this sense of they keep gnawing on you and keep banging on you and keep prodding you until eventually you're fine. And you know, it's just to shut you up. I'll do it. But then where does it take us sometimes? The enemy works the same way in our hearts. This was just another way for Pharaoh to insert his will into God's command. You see, to say, you didn't get the better of me, God. We worked out a deal. But God doesn't deal. God lovingly commands us. Well, Pharaoh says, entreat. And so Moses said, behold, I will go out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms may depart from Pharaoh and from his servants from his people tomorrow. But let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. No more compromises, Pharaoh. No more changes of plans. We're going to do this. So Moses went out from Pharaoh, but Pharaoh must have agreed. Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And he removed the swarms from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people that remained not one. That's a miracle in of itself. I still can't get rid of all the flies. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time, neither would he let the people go. Wow. Many turn to God in a time of calamity. You know, maybe you came to the Lord in a time of calamity. But see, here's the difference. There are sometimes people turn to the Lord in calamity, but then when things get better, they harden their hearts towards God again, don't they? You know, Pharaoh is often critiqued for doing this, but one of the things that if we have to admit, if we're honest with ourselves, is he's not an aberration, right? He's not like unique and how he defies the Lord and goes back to his original plan. He's the norm. So what's a good word for us then? Don't be the norm. God has called us to a different life, hasn't he? A better life. He said, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come that you might have life, and that more abundantly. What does that mean? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. His first goal is to destroy your soul, Right? He wants to keep you away from God, keep you from all eternity that you'll be separated from God. That's not what God designed you for. For some reason in his mind, he looks at that and he rejoices over that. He is happy about that, destroying a soul. Well, if you get saved and you can't destroy your soul, what's his next goal? Well, his next goal is he's going to try to kill your witness, try to kill your testimony. He's going to try to get you distracted, compromised, whatever it is, to kill your testimony, to keep you from influencing anyone else, to keep God from using your life to impact other people. Well, if he can't do that, then what's his last gambit? Try to steal your joy. Try to steal your joy, keep you down, keep you not understanding who you are in Christ, not understanding the promises that he's given to you, to keep you in a legalistic relationship with him to keep you from experiencing the joy and the wonder that God has for you, right? That's what he does. And he'll settle for that. If he can't get your soul, he'll settle for killing your your usefulness for God. If he can't do that, then he'll settle for stealing your joy. And the beautiful thing is we don't have to give in in any of those places, right? Jesus said, I am come that you might have life. And that, on a different level, better than everyone else has it, abundant living, overflowing living. Not where he's the one who influences our life, but where the spirit of God is outpouring through our lives and touching other people around us. Exodus 9, verse 1. Remember we had the Nile was turned to blood, and then after that it was frogs, and then lice, and then flies. 
And so now God's going to up the ante. Verse 1, chapter 9, with the fifth sign or fifth stroke with disease. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord, God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and will hold them still, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon your cattle, which is in your field, and upon the horses, and upon the asses, and upon the camels, and upon the oxen, and upon the sheep. There shall be a very grievous moraine. And the, and the murrhine. And the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt, and there shall nothing die of all that is the children's of Israel. And the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. So here we find God sends Moses again into Pharaoh's presence and gives the same exact command again. Let my people go that they may serve me. It sounds like a broken record, but again, I can't reiterate enough. God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't negotiate. You know, Pharaoh thinks he's God's equal and he's been treating the Israelites as if they were his to use as he ever, however he wanted. But he says, let my people go that they may serve me. There's only one God out there, and I'm not him, and neither are you. People aren't my servants, nor do I get to use them as pieces in my grand scheme, no matter how wonderful it might be. Power and authority is a horrid thing in the hands of someone who thinks this way, who looks at people as their pieces in a puzzle. And I would ask you before we even get started, because you would think at this point in time that Pharaoh's eyes would be opened and he would see the pain and the hardship he's causing and it would grab his heart. How do we view those God has given us authority over? Maybe you have authority over people in your work environment. Maybe, you know, you're a parent. How do we view those who are entrusted to our care that God has given us authority over? Do we seek to serve them? Do we seek to help them as we lead them? Or we just simply seek to use them for whatever it is that we want to accomplish? Well, God warns Pharaoh what will happen if he refuses. For if you refuse to let them go and will hold them still... Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon your cattle. You know, if you will still defiantly oppose my clearly revealed will, will, then I am going to oppose you. I am going to do this. I'm going to, my hand is going to be upon all your livestock, upon your horses, the donkeys, the camels, the oxen, the sheep. There's going to be a very grievous moraine. Now, I think it's important that we mention here, it mentions that the livestock which is in the field, I bring this up because the disease would not affect the stabled livestock. I say this because there's a, people accuse the Bible of a contradiction in chapter eight or chapter nine later on with the seventh plague when there's cattle that's killed by the plague of hail. And I say, wait a second, if all the cattle were killed, how is there any more cattle to kill in, in chapter nine and in the seventh plague? And the reason is, is because this disease, disease would not affect any stabled livestock. It would only affect the livestock that was out in the field. Now, what is a grievous murrhine. The word murrhine just means that which sweeps away, a disease. It's something that's going to, that some people have suggested it was anthrax. I, I don't know enough about medicine to know that. But whatever it was, it was going to be devastating to the livestock that they had. Now, in this plague, remember we've been looking at each of the plagues and how God was dealing with the deities of Egypt. And in this plague, we see the Lord, we see the Lord deal with Hathor, who is the Egyptian cow goddess. Were I to worship something, I like milk and I like steak, but I don't think that's why they worship the cattle. 
They had a cow goddess, Hathor. She was very popular because Egypt obtained its wealth from its livestock. Actually, more festivals were dedicated to her. More children were named after her than any other deity. But she had another side to her. She was also known as the Eye of Ra, the chief deity of of Egypt. And she was called the Eye of Ra because she was Ra's chief defender, sent by him to bring destruction when, when things got bad in Egypt. Her method of destruction was often disease. Now, I find this fascinating because God threatens to take out the animals. She represents with her assigned power, disease. In doing so, God declares that he alone is in control of the cattle and disease, not Egypt's most beloved deity. And so we find here in verse 5, the Lord gives Pharaoh a day to comply. He appointed a set time saying, tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. So this way they wouldn't see it as just a normal disease that broke out at times amongst the livestock. This would be the first sign to affect personal property. God is upping the severity to get Egypt's attention. He'll do this with every single plague. Now while it will begin to work on some of the people, it's not working on Pharaoh. Look at what verse 6 says. And the Lord did that thing on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died. Now remember, he already clarified all the cattle of the field. But of the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. So Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Again, we have no record of Pharaoh's refusal to comply, but it's clear he refused since the plague came. And at this point here, it's interesting. God sends Moses and he just says, tell him it's going to happen, and then it happens. No waving of of Moses' staff this time. God effected this without any fanfare to ensure Egypt knew it was about a magical rod or powerful men. This was Jehovah himself come down to touch them in judgment. You would think this would be one of the moments that humanity would sit back and go, okay, God, I get it, you win. But look at Pharaoh's reaction of disbelief. He actually sends scouts to Goshen to see if any of their livestock was affected. And then by the word behold, it means he's shocked when he finds out the answer. They come back with a report and he's floored when he finds out that they actually, yeah, that none of them were affected. He really didn't expect it to be that way. Either way, when he finds it out, it says he hardened his heart. Despite all this, he continues and his prideful arrogance and stubbornness toward God. It's easy to look at all this and say, well, how could anyone be so stubborn? But I see it all the time. I see it all the time. I'll have people sitting right in front of me and I'll have them read a scripture and I say, okay, what does the Bible say here? Okay, it says you should do this. Okay, so you know, this is the counsel I have to offer you. What do you think you need to do? Well, I don't need to do that. Okay, all right. So now you by your own admission cited that this is what God says you should do. Yeah, I understand, but God's making a special exception in my case. I've heard those words so many times. God understands my situation and he's okay with it. And I think you are fooling yourself. You might think the act is working with others, but you are fooling yourself. The truth is this. All the evidence that God provides to get our attention won't change a heart that wants what it wants and will do anything to get it. And I've observed that over time. See, a decision must be made to yield my will to his. And until that happens, the mounting evidence actually only increases a person's guilt. It doesn't fix the problem. And I want to encourage you, if you're stubbornly refusing to yield to God's word today, waiting for him to somehow write it in the sky to convince you to change, you need to realize that you wouldn't even if he did write it in the sky. Yield now. Get it over with and save yourself the trouble of an even harder heart. After a week of bloody water, 
God ends the first plague on his own, doesn't he? He chooses. He says it lasts a week. But he doesn't mercifully end the second plague until Pharaoh asks him to. And in this, we see God upping the ante every event in his effort to reach this hard-hearted man. I want you to ponder something for a second. Isn't this kind of love amazing since we know that he already knew that Pharaoh wouldn't respond? Think about that for just a moment. Isn't that kind of a, a love amazing? That even though he knew Pharaoh wouldn't respond, he gave him every chance to? Why even bother is what we would think. In fact, there's a whole theological group who says he doesn't. Why even bother? Well, here's why. There's this beautiful little verse in 1 John, and it says these three words. God is love. It doesn't say God is loving. It says God is love. You can only say a few things about that, like will is what? Well, certain things you could say. He is gray-headed, but I wasn't always. You could say he's bald-headed, but I'm not yet. You could say lots of things, but there would only be a few things that you could say about me that are my intrinsic character. And when we talk about God being love, that he is love, it's who he exists as. It's his nature. He can't not be love, right? He can't not be love. And as a result, therefore, God acts in love at all times. Another thing, God is righteous. He always does the right thing. It's the right thing to reach out to Pharaoh. It's the right thing to give him an opportunity. It's the right thing to speak truth into his life. It's the right thing to be gracious and patient and merciful. And so he does it because he's righteous. God never fails. He never makes a mistake. He never does things the wrong way. And therefore, that's why the Bible says that someday we'll be without excuse. Can you imagine what it would be like to stand before the God of all the universe? To know and to see it with your eyes as the books are open, to see how he loved you all throughout your life and yet you rejected him? To see how he was faithful and righteous and fair with you even though you thought he wasn't? <laughs> to me, that is probably the most horrifying thing I could ever imagine in my mind. To stand before the God of the universe and to know I deserve exactly where I'm going. That's heavy. That's heavy because it was my choice. You know, we often say, well, if God would just reveal himself to me, I'd change my ways. Not so, though. God has already revealed himself in so many ways. And if we stubbornly refuse to accept those as valid, then we wouldn't change no matter how clear he made it to us. It really wouldn't matter. See, this is why the scriptures say that obedience is better than sacrifice. You remember Saul? I'll leave you with this. Saul, I empathize with Saul because he, he understood where he was wrong. But I'm frustrated with Saul because he had no intention of fixing it. And that is a man who is not after God's own heart. You look at David and you look at Saul. You look at David did far worse things than Saul did. He actually committed murder. Saul just tried to on certain occasions with David. He did commit murder on other occasions. But with David, he never succeeded. Well, David succeeded. Not only that, he murdered his, one of his best friends. But David was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he understood. He had a heart of repentance. Saul didn't. So when the story goes... Samuel says, listen, the Philistines, or that Saul had attacked a Philistine outpost, and so the Philistines had brought their full army to bear, and Saul summoned the, the tribes of Israel and said, we're going to fight them. And, and Samuel said, wait for me to do the sacrifice. We need to seek God's blessing and direction first. And so Saul waited a week while Samuel tarried. And during that week, some of the people of Israel start to run because they're getting afraid. They're like, we can't take them, we can't take them. And so Saul, finally, after a week of waiting, he says, I've had enough waiting. We, we're gonna bleed too many people. We won't be able to take them. And so he goes up and he performs the sacrifice himself. Goes through the ritual, goes through the motions of it. Well, 
as he finishes and he comes down from the altar, Samuel comes walking up. You ever had that happen in your life? That's a horrible feeling. You take matters in your own hands and then God shows up and you're like, oh, so I just waited a little bit longer. You were coming through, weren't you? Samuel comes walking up and he goes, what have you done? He goes, well, you know, I didn't want to, I wanted to honor the Lord and, and the people were leaving and we want to make sure we put God first. And he goes, no, 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 no. Obedience, it's better than your ritualistic sacrifice. Obedience, that is better than any going through the motions. God's not after that. He says, Saul, because of this, the kingdom has departed from you because you're not a man after God's heart. Obedience is better than sacrifice. God is after you. He's after me. He's after our hearts, not outward acquiescence. And so I'd ask you tonight as we close and the worship team comes forward, is there an area where you've been negotiating with God lately? You know, an area of your life where you've been compromising and offering God compromises. Well, how about this? Or how about this? Or how about this? And the Lord's just saying, how about you just walk with me in this? How about you just obey me? Tonight's the night to fix that, if that's the case. Let's all stand. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we look at Pharaoh, and I know for me, I look at him and I think, how, how stubborn? How can you be so stubborn? And, and yet I'm reminded of events in my own life where I was just as stubborn, Lord. And Lord, we're so grateful that you died for our stubbornness too. But Lord, you call us to humble ourselves. You say you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And so tonight, Lord, if, if we've been negotiating with you, we just make a choice right now tonight. We, we're not at the negotiation table anymore. We're just coming to sit at the feet of our Father and to say, thy will be done. I surrender. Lord, we give that thing to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Pharaoh was apathetic to all the wonders and miracles God was displaying in front of all of Egypt. He chose not to pay attention to them. In the same way, we can harden our own hearts and minds to the wonderful things God does around us, and even for us, when we are apathetic to His word and commands. He prefers your obedience. But if you have questions or would like prayer concerning today's message or for anything at all, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.